The scripture says in 1 Chronicles 29, David said this, says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. That is why we are here today, is it not? Because we have a God who's worthy to be praised. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of everything that we do everything that we say, and may today as we've gathered, may it be a time for us to praise him because he's simply worthy and he loves us. We want to welcome you to the service. If you're visiting with us today, it's an honor to have you here with us. And we say this every week, but we would love to have a record of your visit to know how we can serve you better. And before you leave today, we encourage you just to kind of hang out if you can. Usually our staff's here available at the front. We would love to meet you. And we'd also encourage you to fill out a guest card either at the back table and pick up a guest bag, or you can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin and you can leave that in one of the offering plates at the door. I also want to remind you, if you've been visiting maybe for a while, we will be offering Class 101. It's kind of a new members class. It is required for membership, but just by taking it doesn't mean that you're joining. That'll be next Sunday at 5 o'clock, and if you haven't signed up for that, there's several ways you can do that. You can see that in your bulletin, but we would love for you to be a part of that class that's coming up. But right now, as we prepare for worship, again, as I said last week, we got a little bit of sickness, so everybody turn to your neighbor and just wave at them, or nod at them, or whatever you do in Taylorsville. As you're driving down the road, welcome them to the service and let's prepare for worship.
thank you so much. As you know, this is a time in our service that we've set aside for prayer. And I'd like for us to remember the Schuyler Chapman family in prayer, if you would. The services for uh, Schuyler will be today at Millersville Baptist Church. So pray for him, uh, his friends, his family, um, all those involved in that very tragic accident. So lift him up in prayer. Also, Linda Mundy, a lot of you guys probably know Linda. She's a, just a wonderful person. She's very sick right now. And uh, her family desires your prayers as well. And I'd like for you to come and pray for our church and pray for this service. So as the praise team leads us in this song, if you will, meet me here at the altar and let's pray together this morning. Thank you. so much lord for jesus thank you for an empty tomb father thank you for salvation that you alone offer father we're so thankful that we can pray for others as well and lord i pray for the chapman family lord you meet their needs today father i pray that you would give peace and comfort and hope and encouragement and strength father we pray for linda monday as she's battling a, a very very bad illness father and i pray that you'd encourage her heart lord she's encouraged so many people in her life and i pray that through the holy spirit lord you'd give her a peace as well that passes all understanding thank you for the opportunity to worship together father i want to thank you for east hills of baptist church and for what it means to me and to this community lord and i pray that this service would bring honor and glory to your name father in jesus name i pray amen <laughs> Justice approached the bench Where I stood condemned And declared me unworthy To be my own 
But then I heard a voice testify. And there on the witness stand was a Savior with nail-scarred hands who said,
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And if you'll stand with me, we're going to read verses 47 through 52. And as you're finding your place and the choir is making their way, I just want to mention, reiterate what Kevin said. Next Sunday, we'll have our new memberships class. So if you're interested in church membership, uh, please come to that class at 5 p.m. We should be done around 6 or 6.15. Uh, it is a requirement for membership. And basically what I do is give you a tour of the church and explain to you how to join. So I'd encourage you to come to that one. We probably won't have another one until March or April. Uh, so please come to that. Also, the following week, we'll have our care ministry. We'll start back up at 5 p.m. That's where we call church members. You write cards to people that are sick or shut in. A lot of our deacons will be making shut-in visits and things like that. So if you have a family member or you would like a visit, please contact the church office so that we could have a record of that, and we'll schedule that then. Thank you very much. been talking about angels and demons. What is an angel's ministry to unbelievers? We looked at an angel's ministry to believers. Last time I preached, we looked at the very first ministry that angels have to believe unbelievers is to preach the gospel. Nothing is more important than the gospel. Amen. But there's another ministry to angels that God uh, reiterates over and over again. And notice what verse 47 says of Matthew chapter 13. It's one of the parables Jesus shares. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good vessels, but threw the bad away. Now notice here, Jesus gives a very common illustration of what happened in those days. Every Jewish person would have understood this. And then he makes this illustration. So it will be at the end of the age. Notice at the end of the age. That means the end of time. Jesus will talk about the age and then the age to come. The age is basically from the resurrection to now. The end of the age is that day when, when the final judgment comes. And he says, so it will be. Just like that dragnet. That's what that means. At the end of the age. The angels, notice, will come forth. Separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And let me just say this. Those are Jesus' words. Those are his words. And we either believe it or we don't. And then Jesus said to them after sharing all these parables in Matthew 13 about the end of time. All of them are about the end of the age. He says this. Have you understood all these things? Let me ask you a question. Do you understand? Do you understand that time will end... That every person you know that has rejected Christ is lost by the Bible's definition and will one day be judged in hell for eternity. Jesus told his disciples, do you understand these things? And they said, yes. And then Jesus said, okay, do you? He says, then do this. Therefore, every scribe, that would be us today, instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, things new and old. And Jesus said, so if that is the truth and you understand the kingdom then your job is to share it with everyone everywhere you go. Lord, two things will last for eternity, and that is the church and your word. And Father, I pray that we'd never take these times for granted. Lord, these are the red letters. Lord, this parable is going to come true one day. And Father, the dragnet has been cast. Lord, the dragnet has been cast since the resurrection. And Lord, you're collecting people up on the shore. But, Father, the day of judgment is coming. And, Lord, as a church, I pray that we would, Father, as a church, be more evangelistic in our efforts. Lord, I pray I, as a pastor, would be more evangelistic in my efforts. Father, help us to understand these things. Father, help us to take them to heart. Father, help us not just to leave here hearing a sermon, but, Lord, being engaged to share with a lost and dying world. Because judgment day 
is coming. All these parables in Matthew 13 deal with eternity. Father, help us to have eternity in mind. And Father, help us to be equipped. Father, and give us opportunities to share Jesus with the lost and dying world. 11,000 people that we know of have no church affiliation at all in Alexander County. Lord, I wonder if these tales really does understand these things. Do we really understand these things? Lord, help us today to understand them. And Lord, help us to make this separation that the angels are going to make one day, and they're going to make it just a little bit easier on them. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Angels' first ministry to unbelievers at the end of time is to preach the gospel, and that's the only message in life that matters, that you're a sinner, you've broken God's law judicially and personally, and that he's provided a way for you to be saved. Isn't that that amazing? Amanda's saying justified, just as if I never sinned. That's a legal term that God has applied to your life in heaven. God does it. You're either justified today or you're not. We're justified by faith, which means you can never be condemned ever. That means your past, present, and future sins are dealt with. And in God's God's courtroom, you are justified. Jesus not only died in your place and bore your sin, but he paid the penalty for that sin, which is bearing the wrath of God. We oftentimes overlook that. God's wrath must be appeased. Notice what John says in John 3.36 on the screen. This is right after John 3.16. That whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's really simple, right? That word believes in means I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as God in flesh, as my Savior. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath, trust in God's gracious provision. God's love for the people of the world is limited. Listen to this. God's love for the people of the world is limited to their time on this earth. Then it stops. Jesus said this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Now listen, these are Jesus' words. Who should I fear? If somebody can kill my body, he said, don't worry about them. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority, judicially, who has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The final wrath of God is eternal, having no end. And this attribute of God is solidly and clearly testified to in Scripture. The the definition of wrath is this. The wrath of God refers to his righteous response to everything that is contrary to his divine perfection. God being morally perfect, morally pure, morally holy, he cannot be satisfied with moral imperfection. One scholar put it this way, God's wrath, which is judicial, is never cruel, never arbitrary, and never inappropriate. God's wrath is never cruel, never arbitrary, never inappropriate. It's never emotional. It is judicial. It is always based on His standards and laws. He has revealed to all, which which none have excuse. His standards and laws are clearly revealed in creation and His Word. God's wrath, listen to me, fits the crime. He has perfect knowledge of every person in the situation. Now listen, this is right after John 3.16. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, that's a promise, for God's wrath remains on them for how long? For eternity, unless you accept Christ. This is a judicial act in heaven. Every time you read of God's wrath to come or read of God's wrath happening, it's always divine, judicial, appropriate, and unemotional. God knows every detail before he pours out his wrath. He doesn't do it from a distance. He doesn't do it. He, he, he's just in doing it every time. Jeremiah put it this way. 
Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God's wrath is said to be perf- in perfect accord to His justice. Notice what Romans 2.5 says, or 2.25 on the screen. But because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath or judgment when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. J.I. Packer put it this way, and I think that's supposed to be Romans 2.5, I'm sorry. J.I. Packer summarizes this, and he says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. It is a right and necessary reaction to objective moral either, uh, evil. And another thing is this, God's wrath, the Bible says, is coming. God, the Bible says that God will damn unbelieving men and women and they will suffer His just wrath, which is judicial again, for eternity. Notice what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He makes this statement, let no one deceive you. Next week I'm going to talk about the doctrines of demons. Okay, The doctrines of demons, that's what, that's what fallen angels do. That's their ministry to you. Angels have a ministry to believers and unbelievers. Demons have a ministry to, to believers. It's to deceive you. Let no one deceive you. With empty words. Isn't it amazing how a guy can stand behind a pulpit and sway a whole bunch of people, you better listen, not to believe in Jesus. Oh, you better believe it. I know people that will skip church and watch guys on uh, TBN or whatever and they never hear the gospel. Or they'll go to a church where the person never preaches the gospel. Paul would say this to the church at Ephesus, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, the lost. Paul told the church at Colossae, he was very plain with them. He said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. When he says nature, he's saying that's a part of you that you can't change. You can't change your nature. You can stop doing a lot of things. You can stop doing a lot of them. But you cannot change the inside. Only God can do that. Only God can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. You can quit doing all the things that are bad according to the Bible. Okay? But you can't change your nature. And Paul says, put to death the things that are in your nature. Okay? And then he goes on to say this. He says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these parables... Jesus tells us about the God's parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. He says, just like that dragnet, you guys. See, there are three types of fishing back in Jesus' day. You had a line, you had a hook, and you had bait. You know what's amazing about a line and a hook and a bait? Whatever you throw in, whatever you catch, you know what it is, right? You may not be able to explain it. You know what? It's a fish, okay? And I've seen some of you guys talk about your fish. Then on Facebook, I see your fish, all right? Line and a hook. You know what? You know what's coming in. Remember what Jesus told Peter? Peter asked him about paying taxes. Jesus said, Peter, catch that fish. Caught a fish. What's in there? Pay your taxes with that coin that you just found. Okay? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice to be that easy? Now you know what they do? They tax the fishing pole, the line, the bait, and your time. Amen? They tax everything. Okay? Not only that, but they had they had the second kind of fishing was casting a net. Like when we were at Oak Island this week, you'd take a net, cast it, try to catch what, minnows or whatever it is to catch fish. 
they would do that, oftentimes Peter, you remember in one of the stories in the Gospel of John, he throws a net and he's not catching anything. Jesus says, throw it on the other side and he catches a whole bunch of stuff. Net. Then you had the drag net, which was about a mile or half a mile long. Sometimes they would tie that drag net to the shore. They'd take a boat and they would go out. Now look, this is the kind of fishing you can do. Start from here. Here's the drag net. You know what it's going to pick up? Everything. Everything. You don't know what's coming up. See, that's the difference with a drag net. You have no idea what's coming up. Look, and what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, you throwing in that drag net, guys. He's saying, look, since the resurrection, here comes the drag net. He's picking everybody up. Look, saved, lost, white, black, educated, uneducated, live in a nice neighborhood, live in the hood, everybody. Right here, we're picking you up. And he says, one day, we're going to bring it all the way into the shore. Kingdom of heaven's like that. And the disciples sitting here listening, going, I understand that. See, there's a metaphor was used in, in, uh, with terms of judgment in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 32 says this. And it came to, path in the, in the, came to pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You're like a young lion among the nations. You're like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and fouling the rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I am therefore, therefore I will spread my net, my drag net over you with a company of many people, and they will draw you up into my net. One scholar put it this way, not only would a drag net itself have been a familiar thing to his disciples, but its use as a metaphor for judgment would have been very familiar as well. Although the idea of a net being used to teach the gathering of people for judgment may seem odd to us, it would not have seemed so odd to the Jews in the first century who were knowledgeable of the Old Testament teaching about judgment and a dragnet. So we see a dragnet, then we see the angels. Notice verse 49, the Bible says, So it will be at the end of the age. Just like that dragnet. The angels will come forth. I think in the parable of the wheat and tares, Jesus explains it and he says in verse 41, So the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He's going to send the angels. He's going to send the angels who are basically God's warriors and agents of wrath. Think about this. Over and over and again in the Bible, we see where God uses his angels to really bring about his judgment. Think about King Herod. After he had put Peter in jail in Acts 12, it says this. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter and put him in prison. God sent an angel and got Peter out of prison. It said, and when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod. And then the people wanted to appease Herod, uh, give Herod glory. The Bible says on a set day, Herod arose in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. He spoke to them. And this is what the people said. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God, not a man. The voice of a God. They're saying, you're God. And Herod accepted it. And the Bible says it's then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by the worms and died. But the word of the, God grew, the, word of the Lord grew mightily. During Revelation, during the tribulation in Revelation 9, the Bible says that then the sixth angel sounded. 
And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Think about Satan. Think about the power the angels have over Satan. In Revelation 20 it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and said, it's not one angel did that. I'm sharing that to say this. One day the angels are going to separate the good from the bad. The angels. Revelation 20, 15 says, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God's judicial wrath. Now, if you go to a courtroom and you break, God's, you, you break the law and the judge sentences you that day, who sends you to jail? Who takes you to jail? Does the judge get out? from behind his desk, take his robe off and handcuff you and take you to jail? No. Jesus is not going to cast you in the lake of fire. He's got angels to do that for himself. And they were cast into the lake of fire. Notice this separation in verse 49. It says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth. And look at the word separate. That means to, uh, really it means to dissect or to sever. It always means judgment. The angels have come forth to separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into a furnace of fire. That, that word separation, Jesus used it before in Matthew 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd, shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. This means judgment. There will be a clear division. Listen, you and I may not know who a son, the Son of who a son of God is or who the son of the devil is, but Jesus will have no difficulty identifying the good from the bad. John MacArthur put it there, put it this way, talking about this separation. He says, And lying there at the edge of the water is this recently drawn massive net, and it is literally soaking and teeming with life, filled with the conglomerate of creatures taken from the water, and then begins a very slow, deliberate, careful, patient, unhurried, accurate, knowledgeable, skillful process of sorting out the good from the bad. They sat down, the Bible says. It was something they did very carefully and very patiently. It will be a clear separation. Jesus said, wheats and tares grow together. Leave the tares alone. What he's saying is, you don't know who a tear is. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. God knows your heart. He said, there's sheep and goats. They're saved and lost. There's children of God and enemies of God. God knows the good from the bad. I heard about a church years ago. They had over a thousand baptisms that year. Amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. They did a study five years later in this church. And I'm, I'm not going to name the church, okay? Because I thank God. I'd like to baptize a thousand people. They had 25 of those people still in their church. Five years later. Now, either they got mad at something, or they're lost. Either they got mad at something, or they're lost. I was telling our deacons this morning, I said, I know of a church in another state that has 21 to 28,000 members. And they have about 5,000 that show up. Now it's about 3,000 since COVID. Where's everybody at? See, one day, the angels are going to sit down, and they, they know you. Saved lost saved lost that's the picture you put the good here you put the bad here it's going to be a very deliberate uh, judicial 
separation. It will be a permanent division. There will be no opportunity for change after your death. Your death will decide your permanent destiny. If I die today, based on my faith in Jesus, not on anything I've done, I'm going to heaven. If I die 20 years from now, regardless of my life and the good and bad I've done because of my faith in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. If you died today, which in this county, we never know. Tragedy happens all the time. Are you certain? I mean, listen, you personally, especially you're an adult. Are you certain you're going to heaven? And if so, why? Have you placed your faith, literally your faith? I'm not talking about being a morally good person. We all fall short, right? We all do things we shouldn't do, even after we're saved. But have you placed your faith in Jesus to the point that you're born again? It will be a permanent division. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man goes to hell because he was lost, he says, and besides all this, between us and you, talking to, talking to the Lord, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. When that door closes, it closes forever. When you die, your, seal is, is, your fate is sealed. And he says he's going to cast them into a furnace of fire. Cast into the furnace of fire. One scholar put, those are terrifying words from our Lord. And yet he spoke more of hell than anybody else. Listen, you know what? The two things that all cults and false religions have in common, they say there's no hell and that Jesus is not God. There's no hell and Jesus is not God. Those two thoughts play right into the devil's hands. It's brilliantly demonic. It's a doctrine of demons. Jesus meant what he said. He spoke more of hell than heaven. This is, when you think of cults saying there's no hell, this is emotionally based theology Versus, versus biblically based theology. Hey, Daniel's thought of hell in the Old Testament hurt him so much that he physically got sick, the Bible tells us. When John heard about it in Revelation, he ate the book and it got bitter. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their faith. You don't want to go there. Has there been ever any a place you didn't want to go? I mean, have you ever, have you ever been somewhere and told somebody, <coughs> you don't want to go there? I remember years ago, I was at Hickory going to the movies, my, my daughters were young. I'd take them, like, I don't know, Hannah Montana or something. You know, it was one of the things you had to do. You know, back before movie tickets were $20 and popcorn wasn't 100 Okay, we were there. A lot of people were there. And I remember we were in the lobby just waiting with everybody else. And this guy, these three guys came in with these, these girls. And the guy, I remember when he come in, he had his shirt unbuttoned about right here. And we're standing right here near the women's bathroom for some reason. And he just looked at me like, looked at me and I thought, you want popcorn? I didn't know what he was wanting. You know, young guy, had nice hair and all that. And I thought, yeah, that's really arrogant. You know, I didn't do nothing to you. And I remember him saying, where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? And he started walking with all the girls. And I thought, I'm going to tell him that's the wrong bathroom. I said, no, nah, he deserves it. So I just let him go on in, you know. About three minutes later, I don't know why it took him three minutes to come back out. You know, I, I should have said you don't want to go there. That's what I should have said. Listen to me in all seriousness. You don't want to go here. Jesus called it a furnace of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know what that means? That means that there's emotional torment. People say, oh, you're going to burn. Your body's going to burn. Maybe, maybe not. Fire is just a picture of judgment. But wailing and gnashing of teeth means I'm never getting out of here. Hey, I've been to prison and talked to guys that are never getting out. 
Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation with somebody? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. He said they cast them into the lake of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, which is so easily avoidable. Also, the terms used about hell, not only that, but the terms used are fire. Jesus said, whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, which you don't literally pluck it out, and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hellfire. John the Baptist says this, and Luke records it. John preaching says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jude makes this statement. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And then he says this, Jude, talking about the gospel of Jesus, his Lord's brother. He says, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know what he's saying? If you have a friend that's in a church that has bad teaching that sends people to hell, take them from that church. Take them. If you have a friend that's in a church where they don't preach the gospel, all they're getting is false assurance every Sunday. Try to get them out of that church. And pray to God that church closes. Amen? Sorry. Pray to God that that church closes. And notice, he also called it a place called outer darkness. I mean, I hate the dark more than anybody, but think about complete darkness. The closest I ever came to that, I think it's, was it called Linville Caverns? I went with my kids on a field trip. All that water stuff drops on you. That's what they said. I don't know what it was. I just trusted them. But they said, if you stand here, it's going to be one of the darkest places on the planet. And they cut those lights out. They told us, put your hand in front of your face. And I thought, go ahead. They did. You know what? You can't see nothing. And they said, that people have come in here and got lost. Over, over time. And they say this, now I don't, I'm not sure, but if you're in complete darkness, if you're in complete darkness, after three weeks, three weeks you'll go blind. And after three months you'll go crazy. Who would want that for eternity? Wailing and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, cast. And then finally we come to this, and I'll close with this, the question. Verse 51, Jesus said, have you understood all these things? Isn't that a good question? Have you understood all these things? Let me ask you a question. Have you understood all these things? If so, I asked you a couple weeks ago, when is the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? Can you share the gospel? Could you honestly sit down with somebody and share the gospel on why they need to be born again? If not, you need to be equipped. You, need, you know, I know people have been saved 30 years and still can't share the gospel. Share the gospel with somebody. We all know these are things old and new. He's saying, if you do, then why don't you share your faith? To the point of death. And guess what? They all died sharing their faith. They understood. I remember being at a church conference. I think Kevin and I went to this breakout session. This church was huge, right? And they had grown a lot within like two or three years. I mean, thousands of people. Now, they're in a huge area. They're not in Alexander County. And I remember sitting in this evangelism class, and these two guys were teaching. They were so passionate about evangelism. And somebody asked them, what did you do before you came here? He said, I pastored this church, and that church ran thousands of people. And he asked his guy that helped him, where did you go? He said, I pastored this church, and it ran thousands of people. You know what I thought about that church? That church invested in evangelism. 
Those two men, their only job was to equip, train, teach, and give opportunities for the whole church to evangelize their community. And they had a schedule of what they were doing each week about evangelism. That church understood those things. That church understood those things. They understood evangelism and the importance of people dying, being lost. William Booth made this statement, the the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, if I could take one Christian and suspend that Christian over hell for five minutes, they would give a lifetime of compassionate evangelistic service to Jesus for the rest of their lives. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, if sinners be damned, if if sinners are going to hell, let them go to hell over our prayers. Let them go to hell with us reaching out to them and them jumping over us to get there. Heard a pastor the other day. He said, if you knew, if you knew that your friend or family member was going to die Friday, this Friday, by a heart attack or, or a car wreck, what would you do if they're lost? What would you do? What would you do? I remember praying for a relative of mine for forever, you know. And I would pray. I'd come to church, come down at the altar like prayer time, and lift their name up. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, you know where they live. You know where they live. And I remember saying this, God, if they'll just give me an opportunity. I mean, I had one every day, right? God, if they'll just give me I remember they got sick there at Baptist. And that was a long drive. I hadn't been to Baptist but a few times in my life. It's like the Lord said, you got to go after work. You got to go. And I just went. And for the first time in my life, I knew this person my whole life, loved them, shared the gospel with them, shared the gospel with them at Baptist. I said, you may not make it out of this hospital. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? I'm not trying to be scary, give you scare tactics. Okay? Have you ever given your life to Jesus? And I thought to myself when I was driving home, why did, not, why did it take a heart attack? Is this the good news or not? Why does it take tragedy for us to turn to Jesus and share Jesus? Let me ask you a question today. Have you understood all these things? Have you? Think about the one person in your life that you'd love to see come to know Christ. I'm going to ask you musicians to come, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And you don't have to come forward for this. But I want you to think about this. Think about the person in your life that you'd love to see saved the most. And why don't you lift them up in prayer during this prayer time? And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus... This altar's open if you'd like to come forward. Our staff will be here to pray with you. You can pray where you are. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes and say something like this, Jesus, today, today, I understand I'm lost. I understand these things. And today, Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I cannot save myself, and I place all my hope and faith in you. And if you're here today and you have a friend or a family member that's lost, lift them up as quietly as you can to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. As Sharon leads us in this song, this altar.
Mark 